You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. A few months ago, uh, I felt the Lord put on my heart to do a series, and I asked if it would be okay if I could, and the uh, leadership team said yes. Uh, on first steps in the Christian life, and the three basic things which I want to talk about over the next three weeks, based on Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, where Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there are the three things repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm calling those the first three steps in the Christian life and I just felt that I wanted to be sure that every one of us has gone through the three steps if I can put it that way because it's actually possible to have done number one and not done number two or done number two and not done number three and and so on so that's what my heart is in this so let's begin I'm going to look at the context in which Peter says this and then get into the first of the three subjects. It was seven weeks after Easter. Jesus had died and risen again. For 40 days he appeared to his disciples. He told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. What's that? The good news that Jesus had died for our sins so that if we would repent and believe that good news, we could be sure of a home in heaven when we die. He told them to go into all the world and preach that, but before they went, they were to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which God had promised and would give them the power that they needed to do the job. That happened, as I think most of us know, on the day of Pentecost when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak languages they'd never learned. A crowd came together in amazement. Some mocked and said the disciples were drunk. Peter replied, not at nine o'clock in the morning. This is the work of God's Spirit. And then Peter preached to them. And we're going to read some of what he had to say, beginning at verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was not possible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Verse 36. Therefore, be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart 
and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And then Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we begin this morning by talking about repentance, that word repent. And that message that Peter preached, that message of repentance was not just for the crowd at Pentecost. Paul, preaching on Mars Hill in Athens, declared, now God commands all people everywhere to repent. Hey, that's pretty strong. It's God who says it. God is commanding it. He's commanding all people everywhere. Doesn't take much common sense to realize that means you, me, all of us. God commands us to repent. You say, well, what does repent mean? It's a bit of an old-fashioned word. Well, I'm not sure it's so old-fashioned, but it certainly means something. Some people think it means admit you're a sinner. Well, yep, that's true, but it's more than that. Well, does it mean be sorry for your sins? Yep, but it's more than that. It means admit you're a sinner, be sorry for your sins, and turn from your sin. A definition could be a change of attitude resulting in a change of, change of action. Now, I'm going to tell a little story about something that happened in the Swiss mountains when our children were all relatively young. We used to go to Switzerland quite often because we had friends there and we stayed in an apartment which they had. And uh, one day, we always went in the summer. Uh, some of you perhaps never been to Switzerland. You think of it as a cold place. In the summer, actually, it's a very warm place. It's only in the winter that it gets uh, cold. But of course, on the high mountains, there's often quite a lot of snow, even through the summer. And uh, we went to a place called Champé in the uh, mountains. And uh, we went up a, a ski lift. And uh, when you got to the top of the ski lift, it was still no snow at that point, uh, you could go for a nice walk in the mountains. And I'd uh, got some local maps and we'd sorted out uh, a route from the various footpaths that were available to us and we started our walk. And we'd been going, I don't know, for about an hour and uh, everyone quite enjoying this rocky path we were walking along. And then we got to some snowy bits and we walked through the snowy bits and came out to some drier bits and we were walking on and uh, we are realizing actually it was taking a bit more time than we thought and there was still quite a long way to go. But I said, we'll be all right, let's keep going. And we continued, there was nobody else around it seemed and uh, we wondered why. And, and we just kept going and we started to move through the snow when suddenly we heard a voice from across a kind of valley, not too far away, a couple of hundred yards away maybe, this voice from over the other side, hey, stop, you're going the wrong way, change direction. And basically, 
They knew what we didn't know, that there'd been fatalities in those mountains quite recently, and that actually very often the snow would cover an area where there was actually nothing beneath it, and the whole family could have fallen to our deaths had we continued. Just think about that. There are at least uh, half a dozen people that you know that wouldn't be here now if that had happened. And I was sort of thinking, oh, I don't want to turn around. I'm sure we'll be right if we press on. But the wisdom of my wife prevailed. <laughs> and we turned around and we went back and we had to go back and and down the, the ski lift and, and we were okay of course that's just an illustration you know, actually what it repent means <laughs> you're going the wrong way you've got to stop and you've got to change direction so going back to our verse from Paul Acts 17 and verse 30 God is telling all people everywhere to stop and change direction. Now you might be saying, well, how have I been going in the wrong direction? Well, you can only know if you know what the right direction is. <laughs> and God tells us that in the Bible. It gives us commandments, Old Testament, New Testament, and so on. I'm not going to mention any of them now, though we might touch on some of those in a minute. But basically, in the Bible... Disobeying God's commands is called sin. Now, sin's another word that we don't like. We don't like the word repent. We don't like the word sin. The reason is because we're sinners. That's why we don't like the word. Now, today, we, I, I think we water it down a bit. We call it messing up. Oh, I've really messed up. Or I made a mistake. I've seen this on some of the stuff on the television. Somebody commits adultery and they, go, and they eventually apologize. They say, well, well, I made a mistake. Yes, it was a mistake. But it was more than a mistake. It's willful disobedience to God's commands. I mean, let's be honest about that. You know, mistakes are not quite as serious as willful disobedience, are they? And messing up, you know, it's, it's, it's just making it not quite as bad as sin. Forgive me, but, you know, I, I have to be honest, as a preacher of the gospel, that's what God's word says. Sin is sin. Find another word for it if you like, but don't make it weaker than sin. So, how have we been going in the wrong direction? Well, there are different kinds of sin. Those things you do wrong. Hmm? There's not one person sitting here this morning, including the speaker, who cannot think of wrong things that we've done. And some of us possibly quite recently. Now in a way, this message is aimed predominantly at people who've never yet come to Jesus and asked for the forgiveness of their sins. But it has to be said, God commands all people everywhere, that includes Christians, to repent and actually repentance isn't just something you do when you get saved Christian friends it's actually an attitude of heart it's a lifestyle choice 
It's a recognition that we do do things wrong and that we should be sorry for them and turn from them, even as Christians. So you could think about wrong things you've done and say, well, yeah, I need to turn from that. And then what about good things you've not done? Well, that's even worse in a way. James 4.17 says, uh, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him or her, that's sin. See, if you, if you know you could have done something good and, and you didn't do it, well, it's what we call a sin of omission rather than a sin of commission. Yes. Oh, boy. Sorry if this is a bit heavy, but we've got to turn from those things. And then there are things we say. It's not just things we do, there are things we say. Ooh, ouch. Lies? I wonder how truthful we are. Blasphemy. Oh, I was walking at Berryhead yesterday morning and I heard somebody call out in annoyance. Oh, Jesus Christ. And I winced because he wasn't calling on the name of Jesus to help him. He was taking God's name in vain. And you know, I even hear Christians say, oh my God. Be careful you don't get sucked in with the world and by the common sayings that every other people, uh, other person seems to be using. It's blasphemy. The word of God still says, I will not hold him guiltless who taketh my name in vain. Wow. Bad language. <sighs> now, you know, I, I'm educated enough to know that what's bad language in one part of the world isn't bad language in another. Uh, and even social norms change so there are some words which were bad language when I was a kid and they're not considered bad language anymore I'm not going to say them now because some of you would be offended by them um, but um, th there are words in American English which are quite acceptable which in, Amer in English English are not acceptable so we could get very sophisticated and say well it's just a word but you know, Jesus did say that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, well, maybe we should be careful with that as well. <laughs> yeah, wrong things you've said and then um, good things you've not said. Oh boy. Kind words that you could have spoken and didn't speak. I miss out on that so often. Maybe you do too. And then for us as Christians, telling others about Jesus. Wow, do we miss opportunities there? I don't want to call that sin, but is it? Failing to tell people of their need of Christ could be one of the biggest failings, sins, that Christians ever commit. And then we could go on. Not just things you've done, things you've said. What about wrong things you've thought? Oh. 
Jesus said that if you hate your brother without a cause, you've committed murder in your heart. And if a man lusts after a woman in his heart, he's already committed adultery. So there clearly are wrong things to think. I think it was Martin Luther who said, you can't stop a bird flying over your head, but you can stop it nesting in your hair. And some of you are looking at people immediately in front of me haven't got too much hair for it to nest in anyway. But I find that a helpful thought because we all have tempting thoughts. Temptation isn't sin. But we can stop that bird nesting in our hair, as it were. So there's some things to think about. How have I been going in the wrong direction? I don't know. I'm not aware of any of you going in the wrong direction. But I guess we all do at times. So let's turn now to why should I change direction? And I'm going to give you six reasons. And the first one is very simple. Because our sins harm other people and spoil the people, the world we live in. I mean, let's just use theft as an example. Stealing is a sin. It harms other people because you take away what belongs to them. Adultery is a sin because it harms other people. It takes away, ultimately could take away, somebody's wife or husband. Our sins harm other people. Just imagine for a minute a world without sin. If it's a world without sin, it's going to be a world which is full of love. Because you see, sin harms other people. Love doesn't harm other people. Love puts other people first. Does that make sense? So a world without sin is a world of love. So um, I'm going to suggest to you, in a world without sin, no one would be out of work. Everyone would have a reasonable salary. There'd be no human trafficking. Poverty would be unknown. No one would go hungry. No one would get drunk because no one would want to get drunk. There'd be no pornography, no prostitution, no paedophiles. No one would commit adultery. No one would steal. Banks and houses would be safe. In fact, we might not need banks. Keys and locks would be unnecessary. There'd be no prisons. There'd be no murder. No war. And peace would reign supreme throughout the earth. Oh, wow. Pretty hard to imagine, isn't it? Why? Because we're so used to the sin that is in our world. Now, if you're thinking about some of those things I've mentioned, hmm, not much fun in a world like that. If you think that, you really do need to repent. So, reason number one, we need to repent because our sins harm other people and they spoil the world that we live in. 
Second reason, and I'll be briefer on this, because your sin is an offence to God who is holy. God is pure, he is holy, he is disgusted with sin. There's a verse in the book of Revelation where Jesus actually talks about lukewarmness making him vomit, as it were. Habakkuk 1.13 says, God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot, he, God, cannot tolerate wrong. Why is that? It's because God loves us. Wrong things spoil things for us. Sin harms our world. Sin harms our lives. God loves us. As I've said many times before, if you have a loved one who has terminal cancer, you're going to hate that cancer in the measure that you love that person. That's why sin is an offence to God. Because God is love. And love wants the best for everyone. That's why he hates sin. Your sin is an offence to God. You should repent of it. That brings me to the third point. Your sin spoils your relationship with God. It has to. Another example, just at the human end, if, if someone in a marriage commits adultery, that relationship is tarnished forever. Oh, thank God it can be repaired if, if there's true repentance and, and forgiveness, but potentially it's finished forever. And God constantly pleaded with Israel in the Old Testament, uh, saying, you've disobeyed me. He, he likens them to an adulterous wife. Sin spoils our relationship. And we just go back to the story in the Garden of Eden, way back in Genesis, Adam and Eve. And everything really was lovely in the garden until they disobeyed God's one command not to eat of the forbidden fruit spoilt their relationship with God and even before God put them out of the garden they themselves covered themselves because they knew that they were naked they knew that the relationship had been spoilt fellowship with God had been broken and then you should repent of your sin because actually sin does prevent your prayers being answered. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities, that's your sins, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And I'm going to tell you a story briefly now, which many of you have heard before, and some of you read it in my little book, Signs from Heaven. But it's so relevant to this, and if there's anyone who hasn't heard it, it would be good just to make this point. When I was pastoring in Colchester quite a number of years ago now, 
I went down to the church on a Saturday night to do a bit of work, get ready for Sunday. And uh, it was the time of year when uh, it was summer, it was quite light until 9.30, that kind of time. And around about nine o'clock, there was a, a knock on the door. Uh, I'd actually locked the door of the church because I didn't want to be disturbed. But I thought, well, I, I, I better answer it. So I answered the door, and there's a guy there over six feet tall standing in the doorway, looking absolutely desperate with, with tears in his eyes. I recognized him because I'd buried his grandmother about six months previously. Uh, she'd been a member of our church, a good Christian lady. And I remembered that his name was Billy. I said, Billy, what's the matter? Come in. Billy came in. He said, it's, it's my wife, Ingrid. Now, this is Saturday evening, remember. He said, yesterday I went to work as usual, early in the morning. I worked some overtime and got back relatively late Friday evening. When I got home, I found my wife on the bed, an empty bottle of sleeping tablets by the side of her. She's totally unconscious. He's phoned for an ambulance. She's rushed into hospital. They're not at all sure they'll be able to get her out of the coma that she's already in. The medication had been inside her for too long. He said, I was at home wondering what to do. And I saw a photo of my gran on the piano. And I knew that if she were here, she would pray. And I, I, I wanted to pray, but I couldn't pray. I, I didn't know how to pray. I said to him, Billy, I'll tell you why you can't pray. The Bible says that God's ear isn't deaf so that he cannot hear. And his arm isn't short and weak that he cannot reach it out to save. But your sin has made a separation. It's created a barrier between you and your God. And that's why you can't pray. I said, when you were a child, you went to Sunday school, didn't you? He said, yes, I did. I said, they told you about asking Jesus to be your savior. He said, yes, they did. I said, but you never did it, did you, Billy? He said, no, I didn't. I said, would you like to do it now? He said, yes, I would. And together we prayed the sinner's prayer and he asked Jesus to come into his life and save him. I said, right, now let's pray. We'll pray for Ingrid. And we prayed together. And as we prayed, I found myself saying, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke this coma. I command her to come out of it now in Jesus' name. Now, that's madness, humanly speaking, because she's two, two, two and a half miles away in the Essex County Hospital in Colchester. She couldn't have heard my voice, even if she were not in a deep coma. I said, Billy, she's going to be all right. He said, wow. And off he went, jumped on his motorbike and drove off home. The moment he'd gone, doubt flooded into my mind. 
I'm telling you that just to be totally honest with you in case you think I'm some great man of faith and power. Doubt flooded into my mind. What am I going to say to him if she doesn't recover? And I'll tell you something now that I don't often tell and may not have told you before. But the next morning, because, you know, few people had telephones in those days, so that's really dating it, isn't it? I mean, not just mobile phones, I'm talking about phones in their homes. So Billy didn't have a phone. I couldn't phone up and find out how she was. Um, but I knew that uh, some of his relatives, because he lived some miles away, some of his relatives lived around the corner from the church. So after church on Sunday morning, uh, or it may have been just before, I can't remember, I went round there and knocked on the door and asked, uh, how Ingrid is. And uh, no, actually, I'm getting this wrong. I'm sorry, it's, it's a while ago. I phoned the hospital and asked how Mrs. Baxter was, and they told me that she had died. I went round to express my condolences and feeling a very heavy heart. And when I got there, they said, we don't understand. Ingrid's fine. They've told Billy he can take her home today. What's the explanation? Who's got it wrong? The hospital had got it wrong. There was another Mrs. Baxter in the same ward. Ingrid did come home that day. Ingrid gave her life to Jesus. What a wonderful answer to prayer. The lesson behind it is simply this. You can't expect to get your prayers answered if there's a barrier between you and God. Thank God when we ask Jesus to be our saviour, the barrier is broken down. Let's make that clear. The barrier is broken down. Two more reasons. Let's recap the four we've done. You should repent because your sins harm other people and the world you live in. You should repent because your sin is an offence to God. You should repent because your sin spoils your relationship with God. You should repent because sin prevents your prayers being answered. Hey, and here's a really big one. You need to repent because if you haven't, your present direction leads you to hell and not to heaven. Not a popular subject. It's still what the Bible said. It was Jesus who said that there was a broad and a narrow way that's set before us. The narrow way leads to life, but the broad way leads to destruction. says in the Psalms, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the ends of which are death. You say, well, surely if God's so loving, why doesn't he let everyone into heaven? He'd like to. He's done all that he can. 
He's provided a way for forgiveness through Jesus' death on the cross. But you see, heaven wouldn't be heaven if God let sinners in. See, what's wrong with the world? We've already dealt with that. It's the sin that spoils it. It's because of sin we live in a fallen creation. Heaven wouldn't be any better than earth if God let sinners in. So you need to repent if you want to be sure of making it to heaven. And finally, and for me this was the strongest reason of all when at the age of 14 I gave my life to Jesus. And thank God it's never too late, whether you're young or whether you're old. You should repent because God loves you so much. He sent his son Jesus to die for your sin. What is it Paul says in Romans verses, uh, chapter 5 verses 6 and 7? You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, a person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16 tells us that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that whoever puts their trust in him would not perish but have everlasting life. There is the danger of perishing if you don't put your trust in him, if you don't repent. The Bible talks about the goodness of God leading you to repentance if you don't like any of the other reasons I've given you surely this is sufficient God loved you my friend so much that he came in the person of Jesus and he let wicked people bang nails through his hands and through his feet and put him on a cross and suffer agony the agony of crucifixion and the greater agony of the spotless Son of God carrying our sin. And he did it because he loves you. And all he asks you to do is to stop, change direction, turn around and come to him. You say, how can I change direction? Change your heart. Change your mind. Change your lifestyle. Suppose you get on a train, or on the motorway for that matter, and you discover you're going the wrong way. What do you have to do? It's quite simple. First of all, you've got to realise you're going the wrong way, or you'll carry on headed in the wrong direction. I pray for those of you who have never yet 
given your lives to Jesus, you realize from what we've said this morning that you're headed the wrong way. But it's not enough to realize it. You can realize it and just carry on. That's your choice. You need to regret it. And then you need to return. You need to turn around. Because you can't do that actually without God's help. But you make that step. See, God's already taken the first step. He sent Jesus to die for you. Now you make a step towards him. If you turn to Christ, he will do everything else by the power of his Holy Spirit. He will come into your life. He will change you. You will be born again. You will be made a new person altogether. And God will help you to live in the right direction and not the wrong one. Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. You've heard good news this morning. There's a way out of this situation. It's available through Jesus. Will you ask for forgiveness? Ask him to come into your life right now? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Before we pray, I want to make it clear that I'm going to make an appeal to you at two different levels. I've said that even Christians need to repent. Now, it may well be that you have nothing you are aware of. I'm talking to Christians now just for a moment. Those of you who have already given your lives to Jesus, and that's most of us here this morning, if not all of us. It may well be there's nothing you know of that you need to turn from. In which case, give God the glory and be determined to carry on the right pathway. But it could well be there are many of us here when we think about wrong things we've done, even as Christians, good things we failed to do, wrong things we've said, good things we've failed to say, it may well be that we want to say afresh to God this morning, Lord, I confess my sin and thank you that you're faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up or, or stand up. You know if that's you. Just in the quietness of your heart, tell God about it now. And ask God's Holy Spirit to help you. And now, if you're here this morning and you've never actually prayed a prayer, talked to God, asked Him to forgive you, if you've never really 
repented. And this morning you want to be sure that your sins are forgiven and that you're going to heaven. You want to be sure about it and you say, yes, I'll turn to Jesus now. I am going to ask you to do something because I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask you very simply to raise your hand. And without any embarrassment, I will pray for you. Will you do that now? You say, yes. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Is there someone? It may be that everybody here has done it. And that's great. Yes, I see your hand. Thank you. Yes. Anybody else? Now, if you raised your hand, or even if you didn't and know that you should have done, just pray this prayer with me. If you pray it and mean it, I guarantee you on the authority of God's word, you will be forgiven. You will receive eternal life. You will go to heaven when you die. If you mean it. Here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry I'm a sinner. I believe the good news that you took my sins when you died on the cross. I ask you, Lord Jesus, come into my life now. Forgive my sin. Cleanse me from my sin. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, make me new right now. And help me to live for you from this moment on. In Jesus' name. Amen. I pray, Lord, for all those who may have prayed that prayer right now, that they shall receive the assurance of forgiveness and of salvation in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit Brixham.Church.